New on Curiosity Stream. Grab your lab goggles. We're out to find the world's coolest, loudest, and most in-your-face experiments. Wow. <laughs> That's impressive. See how hands-on science can change our everyday lives on oddly satisfying science. Plus, from goats to guard dogs, hear surprising stories about the creatures that brought humanity to the next level. It's animals that changed history. Watch now on Curiosity Stream. Annual plans are twenty dollars, just a dollar sixty-seven a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com. I'm not sure who's going to listen to this, and that's fine. This video is more of a warning for those of you who do, and maybe I can get some advice along with it. I'm not sure if it even matters at this point. All I know is I'm freaking out and don't know what to do anymore. I drove that road a thousand times. Probably. No, definitely more. Every day for years I flew around those curves and could almost navigate it with my eyes closed. Which is essentially what you're doing when driving at night due to the lack of streetlights. So since I knew that road so well, I knew all the sharp turns too. Luckily, or unluckily, I guess depending on how you look at it, I knew that particular sharp turn was coming up. I slowed my car going around and my lights flashed on a lump in the road. I still slammed on my brakes, but I think more as an impulse rather than an actual necessity and sat in my car staring at the black shape blocking my lane. I wanted to just drive around it and keep going. I wanted to not think about what might be lying motionless coming around that dangerous curve. I wanted to not think about what might be lurking behind a tree waiting for someone to fall victim to the trap they set out. I wanted to do these things, but instead I looked at my wedding ring and sighed. I slowly moved my car off to the side of the road and sat frozen in my seat, weighing the options. I knew it wasn't my damn business, and my husband's voice echoed in my head telling me to stay out of it as I unbuckled my seatbelt. My gut told me to go, to leave, but I couldn't. I slowly stepped out of the car and immediately regretted it. The wind was icy against my bare face, and my thin sweater wasn't quite enough to keep the chill away from the rest of my body. What the hell am I doing? I thought to myself as I approached the seemingly lifeless mass being lit up by my car's lights. I could see what it was now, and knowing it was a body made me feel obligated to investigate further. What if they were still alive? What if it was just a kid? I had to find out. But the closer I got, the more my stomach sank. I've seen death before. We all have. Been to funerals. Roadkill. Hell, I grew up hunting. But something about the cold and the dark didn't feel right. I stood over the boy's body. He couldn't have been more than 17 and he was in awful shape. His face was bloody and twisted. He had a bone sticking out of his leg, and I'm sure if he hadn't had that puffy winter coat on, I would have seen another in his arm. As horrible and gut-wrenching as it was, it was also oddly calming, oddly serene. The small pool of blood shone bright in my yellow headlights, and his face, probably once in pain, was now devoid of all feeling, and I knew he was at peace. He was dead, so I wasn't in a rush per se, but I took out my phone to call the police. As I did, I thought about the fragility of life, how we hold on to it and cherish it, 
and think it's the end. We don't take into account how beautiful and... I never got to finish that thought, as the headlights whipping around the corner filled my vision, and then the world went black again. My eyes opened on a bright blue sky, and I immediately knew where I was. A sense of calm and warmth rushed over me as I stood there and took a deep breath. The air was more fresh than anything I could have ever dreamt. I glanced around and couldn't find the sun, but still felt its warmth and light washing over me. I felt at peace. I felt home. It sounds stupid. But in that moment, when you're standing there, taking in the nothingness around you, the serenity around you, you feel like you belong. You feel like everything you knew before was just to get to you to this point. Even thoughts of my husband and my family back home gave me nothing except what I can describe maybe as bliss and reassurance, that one day they too will join me. All the pain that they'll experience will be worth the beauty that they're going to live with for eternity. I felt a tear bubble in my eye and wiped it away, trying to suppress the smile that had taken over my face. But I couldn't. And honestly, why did I want to? I was here. It was over. The fluffy white mist around my ankles brought the smile back in full force. And one more deep breath was enough to get me ready to start my eternity. Slowly turning, I held that last breath, but let it out all at once. I was frozen. The pearly gates I was expecting before me sat broken and twisted. What I can imagine was once the purest white was blackened and decrepit. Beyond the half-open gates was nothing but darkness, a thick, inky black that stood like a wall between the entrance and the promised land that presumably lay behind. The serenity and peace that radiated through my body was replaced with the dread and the horrible feeling of loss. I turned back to the bright blue sky that greeted me to this place, hoping without hope that when I turned, the image would be reversed, and whatever cruel joke this was meant to be would be over. But I wasn't so lucky. Tears formed in my eyes for a different reason this time, and I felt my body start moving slowly towards the mouth of the darkness that was waiting for me. Looking down, I realized it wasn't some supernatural force moving me forward, but my legs were taking one agonizingly slow step at a time, almost like newcomers would be so overwhelmed by the beauty before them that they would forget basic bodily functions, and this was meant to help them get started. Inside, I felt like I was supposed to take over the walking, but I couldn't do anything besides stare at my feet as the mist dissipated, revealing a cracked, rocky surface beneath. It took everything in me not to look back up at what I was starting to convince myself was nothing more than a nightmare. I would wake up. I had to wake up. Please God, let me wake up. As this last thought left my mind, I stopped moving. Slowly I raised my head and realized I was about ten steps from the dark. I could feel an ungodly cold coming from beyond those gates, and a gagging smell of rotten death. Directly to my right was a podium that, in its day, probably stood around ten feet tall. But now the stone was cracked and decayed, and it stood at about eye level. The remains of a gold-bound book stood open, hanging off the edge directly in my face. Most pages were torn and burnt, or covered in a dried red that I didn't want to think about. 
But as I stood there shaking uncontrollably, names began to appear on the unscathed sections. And one name in particular caught my attention. My name. My heart dropped and I let out a small cry. I hadn't taken a breath since I turned, but I couldn't remember how. I didn't know if I even needed to, but I couldn't remember how either way. The shaking turned from a small shiver to a full-body spasm, and my chest tightened until the pain was unbearable. I felt my body start to move forward again as my heart pounded out of my chest. I wanted to. Needed to throw up. Between the dread and anxiety and that damn smell that refused to leave my nostrils, but I couldn't. The cold enveloped my body, the closer I got, and burned my skin. I wanted to cry out again, but I choked on the sounds. The screams now audible from the shadows were almost completely drowned out by the pounding in my ears. I think that made it worse, though, because hearing the faint screams and cries made me fill in the gaps myself. My eyes flooded with tears and they soaked my face so bad I could barely make out the gates that were slowly getting bigger and bigger in front of me. The gates almost had a faint glow through my tears. The colors melded together into something almost white and pure. A sick laugh croaked out from my strained throat through the tears and continued the closer I got. The horrible part of it all is as I was pulled mere feet from the entrance, my tears and mine tricked me into seeing the glow get brighter and brighter. I could almost feel that warmth again over the cold, and the peace tried to break down the dread, but it was a losing battle. I choked and laughed, and choked and laughed, the last couple feet on repeat because I knew my delusional fantasy was the closest I'd get to heaven. I deserve this, I thought, trying to justify in some way what was happening before me. I tried to think of all the wrong I did, but I couldn't concentrate through the revolving laughs and chokes. I deserved to be in. My final thought was cut short by black hands reaching through the darkness and swallowing me within its depths. I was thrust into complete silence. The screams and cries that threatened on the other side of the black wall were gone, and it was just me, alone. Shaking and shivering, I slowly looked around to try to get a bearing on my surroundings. At first I could just make out that I was in some dark forest, seemingly only lit by the non-existent moon, but the more I wiped my tears from my eyes, the more buildings and other structures came into focus. They were easy to miss at first because they were completely reclaimed by the trees. It looked like there hadn't been anybody there for hundreds of years, and all evidence that this area was once populated was hanging on by a thread. I wanted to move and explore, but honestly, the fact that there seemed to be no danger in sight was comforting, and I was tired from the stress and anxiety, so I just dropped to my back and laid there, taking in the silence. I jumped up when the silence was broken by sudden sobbing coming from behind and turned quickly to see a young man, probably around 20, standing just inside the entrance, weeping into his hands. I was hesitant thinking this might be some kind of trick, so I only backed away slowly and hid behind the nearest building, making sure to never take my eyes off of this new figure, just in case. I held my breath in anticipation 
for what felt like hours as the sobbing grew fainter and fainter, and then the sounds were gone altogether. The figures still hadn't moved, but they were silent now and looking around, taking in their new surroundings like I did so long ago. I still wasn't sure if this was some kind of trick, but I figured I had waited long enough, so I began to step out from my hiding place, but froze when a distant roar cut through the silent, still air. The new arrival looked off to the right, towards the new sound, and tears once again began to stream down their face. I was too terrified to move, and remained half out in the open, and half behind my wall, when something grabbed me from behind and violently pulled me back fully behind cover. I turned breathlessly to see a middle-aged man with half his face scarred and torn, looking me in the eyes with his finger over his lips, pleading with me to be silent. I swallowed and nodded timidly, but I was shaking so bad that it may have been lost in my other movements. He put his hand over my mouth and slowly moved to peek around the corner. After a moment's pause, he got about an inch from my face and whispered, Don't show yourself and keep your mouth shut. But look around the corner. I swallowed again, and, terrified, crawled to the corner until I could just barely see the new arrival shivering and shaking with tears, still looking off to the right. My vision over there was partially blocked by trees and a few crumbling structures so I couldn't make out anything, but the new arrival clearly could see something, because with each passing second their face twisted more and more with fear. I could barely make out what sounded like something running through leaves, and panting, and in a blur, the new arrival was swept off his feet and was on his back screaming, while something demonic tore at his face, while letting out wet, vicious squeals. Behind the blood drenching the scene and the pathetic cries, it took all I had to hold back tears and vomit. As fast as I could, I put my back against the wall and closed my eyes and covered my ears trying desperately to drown out the death screams and pleas for help. But I could only do so much. I felt a hand on my shoulder and opened my eyes, without uncovering my ears, and my savior gesturing for me to follow him quietly. I didn't think I could move, but by the grace of God, or, you know, whatever, I followed him as silently as I could, as the screams for mercy got further and further away. We moved through more dark forest for, I think, about an hour. Once the screams were completely out of range, we were back in an uncomfortable silence. The only sound was the soft crunching of leaves beneath our feet as we made our way past more tree and moss-covered buildings. If I didn't know any better, I'd think this was New York or something, just after some disaster that wiped out all the people. It was beautiful and extremely unnerving at the same time. I tried not to think about it. I wanted to say something to my guide to break the silence, but he hadn't even looked back at me once since we left. And what would I say anyway? I just had to follow, silently praying that he was actually here to help. Eventually the buildings were gone, and it seemed like we were actually in what was originally a forest. A couple minutes in, we reached a cliffside and he gestured for me to stop, and stood there for a moment with his back to me seemingly trying to remember which way to go. He motioned for me to follow the wall to the right. I didn't move. I still didn't fully trust this person. Honestly, I only really followed him in the first place, to get away from whatever the hell was back near the entrance. 
After a minute or so of me not moving, he hurriedly came at me. What the hell are you doing? He said in a mixture of a yell and a whisper. When I didn't respond because I still couldn't, he added, more calmly, a few of us have a hideout from the Fae, and we really need to move. You need to trust me. The sincerity in his eyes momentarily put my mind at ease, and I, still a bit hesitant, moved along the wall in the direction he indicated. I moved at a much slower pace than we did through the trees since I was in the lead, every once in a while looking back at him to make sure he hadn't abandoned me just yet. And he didn't. At one point in my shimmy, I came up to a patch of vines and felt him tap on my shoulder. When I looked back, he was pointing at the vines, as though I should just try to walk through. I gave him a quizzical look and froze, no longer trusting his direction. Clearly frustrated, he looked around us and then shoved me out of the way. He shot me one last look, shaking his head, and then launched himself into the vines and disappeared. I wanted to follow him. I really did. It seemed like the safest path, but I froze. Could I survive out here on my own? Were there more of those things out here? Was this still a test? If I followed him, was he bringing me to hell? Was that thing tearing me apart some kind of repentance to make it to heaven? A million questions raced through my mind as I stood there like an idiot all by myself, completely exposed. I really had no idea what the answer to any of this was. But when a familiar demonic roar tore through the silence, I swallowed my pride and hustled through the vines. It looked like I had just stepped into a war bunker. There were about a dozen people standing and lying and sitting around, bandaged and cut and bloody, staring at me and my companion as we stood there dumbfounded. They all gave him nods without saying anything and looked away, going back to whatever they were doing, whether it was tending to the injured, some looked like they were preparing a small batch of food, and others were sharpening swords and axes. My guide turned to me with a relieved smile on his face. We're here. I think you should get a little rest, and then we can get some food in you and talk. As he talked, he led me through a small tunnel in the left side of the cavern, and brought me to what was essentially makeshift barracks, with a few trashy-looking bunks and some mattresses lined up on the floor. You don't need to sleep often, so there's no real assignment, so just choose whichever one catches your eye. He stood in the center of the sleeping room with his arms outstretched and a seemingly forced friendly smile waiting for me to enter. But I didn't. I couldn't. I didn't want to sleep. I didn't want to rest. I just wanted to know what the hell was going on. After a few moments, he dropped his arms and the smile faded from his face. He sighed. No sleep just yet, I guess. I could barely even bring myself to look up at him, but I slowly shook my head while staring at the floor. He moved towards me and put his hands on my shoulders. I looked up and was a little surprised to see what looked like genuine sympathy on his face. I know how hard this is. I had to come here once too and I was terrified. You're in a safe place though. We've been fighting from here since I set it up years ago. I averted my eyes from his as they started to water. He sighed. If you don't want to rest, I can answer anything you want to know. If that's what you would rather do, of course. I gave a single nod, still looking away, and he led me to a bed and sat me down. He took the seat opposite me. Shoot, he said, clearly trying and failing to maintain a cheery demeanor. 
It took me a second, but I decided to ask what was probably the most important question. Where am I? He chuckled slightly and relaxed a bit, which I found odd because he had to expect this to be the first question. You're in heaven. Then, after seeing my face twist, continued, I guess it's really what used to be heaven. Hasn't been heaven for the 40-ish years I've been here, and I've met a couple people who were here for years and years before me. And from what I can gather, heaven hasn't really been a thing for a little over a thousand years. My heart sunk a little bit. I guess I was hoping that this was hell or purgatory. Not that I hoped I was headed for hell, but at least that would be some explanation. I swallowed and didn't want to ask the next question, but I had to. Is this it? The man gave me a questioning look, so I elaborated. Is this all there is? You said what used to be heaven. So is this it? Or is there actual heaven somewhere farther along? He let out a long breath, and I could see his face twist a bit in discomfort. As far as I know, this is it. I've personally gone thousands of miles out, and have talked to others who have gone farther. And it's all like this. Former cities completely grown over, and those things you saw wreaking havoc. He paused and gave me a second to process this. Shockingly, I was okay, though. Maybe as soon as he said this was in fact heaven, I had just lost hope. It didn't matter if there was a better part or not because those damn things were out there. What the hell was that that attacked the kid? He looked a little taken aback. Maybe there's usually an order to the questions and people want to hear more about how there's no damn hope that something better is waiting for them. But nonetheless, he gathered himself. Those are Fay. Fay? I interrupted. Like another word for fairies? He cracked a smile, but there was no joy behind it. Over the years, Faye became these little pixie creatures in stories, and yeah, sometimes that's what they are, but the majority are what you just saw. I think he wanted to continue, but I had to interrupt again. Are you telling me fairies are freaking real? What the hell? His smile seemed a little more amused now. Heaven's real, so why is that so weird? I opened my mouth to respond, but stopped myself. That made sense, I guess. I let him continue. So, most of this information I'm getting secondhand, so forgive me if anything is incorrect. But from what I understand, Fae were once angels. Specifically, they were part of the group of angels tasked with escorting another group down to hell, namely Lucifer and his little horde of followers. From there, I don't know. Something happened where a bunch were trapped on Earth and morphed into these grotesque things. He stopped for a second to let me respond, but I just wanted to listen. There's a reason our ancestors told so many stories about trolls and monsters and things that go bump in the night. Those were the Fae. But now, they're here. My mouth was extremely dry, which was weird because I was dead. But I was able to croak out. So, then how did they get here? He got up and walked to the far side of the room, where there was a little water cooler, and poured me a cup. He handed it to me when he came back, saying, You have to drink and eat here like on earth. You won't die, but your strength will diminish. Once you get used to it, it's about once a week, but you have to work up to that. I thanked him and drank the entire glass in one gulp. He smiled, got me another glass, and then sat back down. 
I'm not sure how they got here. Maybe God was gone or dead before they returned and the gates opened. Or maybe they found some way in and killed him or drove him out. I don't have the answers. And no one I've met was here to see it. So it's just guesswork. He paused again and swallowed, trying to collect himself. All I know is, now God's gone. Now the angels are gone. Now there's no salvation from those things. We just have to run and hide and fight. This last part appeared to really get to him. I couldn't really find the words, so I hid behind the glass of water. And we sat for a few minutes in silence. What's your name? Was the only thing that came to mind. He didn't seem to be paying attention though, so he didn't answer. I put my hand on his knee. How long have you been here? He looked down at my hand and then up at me. Depends. What year did you die? 2020, I responded. He looked away for a moment and then back. Since 1973. So, 47 years, I guess. He laughed a bit. 47 damn years. Wow. He looked over my shoulder and looked a million miles away. I was 46 when I died. I finally caught up. I waved my hand to break his trance, and he rested his eyes on me like he forgot I was there. Do you not have time up here? No, we do, but it moves a lot faster, so I'm never sure how many Earth years it's been. As best as I can estimate, it's about 100 to 1, but who knows. It doesn't matter, I guess. I just like to ask the year. He looked from me down to his hands and got lost in thought. I decided to ask again. What's your name? He heard me this time, I could tell. His face twisted the slightest bit when I asked, but all he said was, It's not smart to give names just yet. Let's see if you stay here. What is here? I asked. Like this specific place? He nodded slightly. Well, there's a few entrances to heaven, like the one you came in through, that the souls passed through. We decided to set this up, when I realized that the Fae were scoping out the gates and ambushing the newly dead. We did this to try to get everyone to safety if we can. So you can leave whenever you would like. I just wanted to get you here away from them first. Do, do you think those things will kill me? I stuttered, panic washing over me. Based on his expression, I could only assume I'd just ask the dumbest question he'd ever heard. You're already dead, lady. You want to die again? I wanted to ask more, but my words got cut off by shouting from back towards the main room. My unnamed guy jumped up and grabbed my arm. This should answer a lot for you. He pulled me back through the small passage to the entrance, where there was a mad scramble of bodies. They were scrambling but it didn't seem like anyone was in much of a panic, which seemed odd to me. The scramble was less that and more an organized hive moving together. I couldn't really tell, but it looked like they were carrying something. They placed it down in the corner opposite of me and discussed amongst themselves for a while before most of the group dispersed. I stood where I was, trying to figure out what it was because it just looked like a red blob. I realized unnamed man, was still holding my arm and moved me closer to the blob to get a better look. And still it was just nothing. I looked at my guide confused. Take a look at it, he responded. I did, and then shook his grasp and fell down in horror. 
when I realized what I was looking at. It was the new arrival. What was left of him, at least. Just basically his head, neck, and some organs. What the actual hell is wrong with you people? I stammered out, looking around. They ignored me for the most part, a few shooting me sympathetic looks. But my guide had a stern look on his face. What is this? I asked, trying my best to compose myself. I think you know who this is, he said, not looking away from the blob. I know who this is. I asked what the hell this was. Why is this here? Before he could answer, a loud gasp came from the mass of red. I crawled farther away. Oh no, hell, 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 hell. I repeated as tears made their way into my eyes. My guide turned away from the blob as it started to sputter and spit out blood. He came over to me and knelt down, offering his hand to help me up. I slapped it away. A playful smile spread across his face. I wanted you to see this. He gestured back at the now fully breathing pile of body parts. We can't die again. We can be torn apart and crippled, but we heal. It sounded like he was trying to comfort me, but his face told another story. It's horrific. There's a reason we run and hide and fight. Because if we don't, this happens. And you feel every second of it. I could barely breathe. I certainly couldn't speak. But when he offered his hand again, I took it. Look, I've been here. He paused and sighed. Damn, 47 years. But maybe you should talk to another newbie. He gestured to a kid in the corner. Immediately I recognized the face and my body grew cold. A boy, about 17, walked over to us with a bit of pep. Henry, can you talk to our newcomer for a bit? Let her know what's going on from someone who just went through it himself, my guide asked. The boy nodded with a smile and my guide made his way over to the body parts and sat down and began to talk, but I couldn't make it out. Hi, I'm Henry, the boy began. I couldn't look at him. I got sick to my stomach when I did. I've only been here a couple days, but Winston and the rest really make this process so much easier if you let them. He continued, but I still couldn't look. I didn't answer for a moment and I could hear him shuffle uncomfortably as he lightly touched my shoulder. I'm sorry. I know it's hard, trust me. I was hit by a car right before my 18th birthday. He let out a laugh. This is hard. It sucks. But that's why we have to stick together. I waited a couple more seconds and faced him. As soon as I fully took in his face, tears had dominated my eyes. He embraced me. It's okay. We'll get through this. I pushed him away. You did this to me. I wiped the tears from my eyes and even I realized for the first time they were tears of anger and not sadness. I could tell he was confused, so I continued. I found your damn body on the street. I got out to look and you killed me. He took his hands off me and looked to the ground. The pain I could see on his face made me soften. I'm so sorry. If I hadn't been out that late, we'd both still be alive and not in this damn nightmare. I'm sorry. He began to walk away, but I grabbed him and gave him a hug. I know my anger was misplaced. This was just a kid in the wrong place and at the wrong time. And now he's in the same hell that I am. Why be mad at something that isn't his fault? I'm just glad I found you. None of this is on you. 
I finally said, as he wept softly into my shoulder. I moved him out to arm's length so we could look at each other. Honestly, this is on those assholes who ran us down. We both smiled and it felt good. It genuinely felt good to see him smile after I caused his tears. That good feeling was short-lived, though, as shouting erupted behind me near the entrance of the cave. I spun around to see three fae tearing apart anybody who rushed them. I only saw them for a second, but their images still burned in my eyes, and I see them coming every time I close my eyes. One was huge, and I think must have been what the Minotaur was based on with a deformed human body holding up a giant bull's head, with blood flying from the one good horn and the cracked horn that accompanied it. On the other side was something out of the mind of Lovecraft, tearing into any combatants, with the innumerable tentacles that surrounded two giant black eyes and a beak-like mouth. The one in the middle, and the one I assume was the leader of this small band, was nothing more than pitch black skin pulled tightly over a thin skeleton, towering over his comrades and everyone else in the room. It had a bat-like face and was covered in blood, screeching as it swung its clawed hands easily through anyone who dared approach. Each one sported ragged black wings that definitely no longer supported them. The souls in this small cave stood no chance against the three invaders. They fought hard, but one by one they were torn apart. As the blood and screams flew around the room, I felt a hand pull on my arm and I knew who it was. Without hesitation, I spun to see my guide holding the red blob. He pulled me back towards the bunks and through a part of the cave wall I hadn't seen before. The squishing and tearing and screaming behind us was sickening, but I followed without breaking stride until we were back out of the cave, running through the trees. I followed the man Henry identified as Winston through the trees for maybe a mile, maybe more, maybe less. Through the cold dark air, tightly, fearing what would happen if I were to fall behind or trip on anything. When we finally stopped running, Winston ducked under the roots of a few giant tipped over trees. I couldn't get my heart to stop beating out of my chest, and my shaking made it hard to focus on anything he was trying to say to me. For a few minutes he whispered, uselessly to me until finally Henry grabbed my shoulders and looked me in the eyes. Hey, I read his lips. We're safe now. Nothing's going to hurt you. Towards the end of his sentence, I started to hear him again, and I was able to shake myself into focus. Winston gave Henry a smile, beaming with pride, and then turned to me. Don't worry about a thing. We're going to go back for them tomorrow, and we'll set up a new base. They'll be okay. Most of those we left behind have been through much worse. What he was saying was clearly supposed to be reassuring, and I was about to respond, but was stopped when the blob started screaming in pain. A hand had started to emerge from its side, and it was clearly not a pleasant experience. I had to cover my eyes and turn away. Tears ran down my face as the screaming began to fade. I waited a little longer before turning to see Winston whispering into the blob's ear. The now open eyes were bloodshot and in an obvious heartbreaking pain. I got into a fetal position and curled up as tight as I could. Eventually, I felt myself being embraced. I held there for a second and pulled back slowly to see Henry's big eyes staring back at me, holding back tears himself. He seemed mature for a 17-year-old, 
Maybe it was the week or so he'd been here. If Winston's calculations were correct, obviously. We held each other's gaze for a few moments as Winston continued his whispering. I think we both knew what the other was thinking, and that was a comforting thought. I again went to say something, but I heard a roar in the distance and bit my tongue. Henry pulled me closer to the roots, and Winston held his hand over the blob's mouth. Time seemed to stand still as we all waited for another cry from the trees. Finally, a gasp from Winston broke the silence. I looked over in time to see him pull his hand away from the mouth, clearly bitten. In the split second I glanced over, the blob let out another blood-curdling scream. Henry dove over and covered up. But the damage was done. The scream from the blob was matched by one from about 100 yards away from us. Henry shot me in one last look, and then sprung up and bolted. He only made it about 15 feet before the minotaur speared him in the back with his good horn and shook violently, spraying blood all over the surrounding area until Henry flew off and hit a nearby tree with a sickening crunch. Winston and I held our breath as the fae turned to us. I saw its lips slightly pull back, revealing jagged, blood and flesh-covered teeth. The next thing I saw was a bright light shining from above. It hit my eyes like the sun, but way too close. The world was silent for a moment, and the light was my only companion. But soon everything started gradually coming back. I felt a hard surface below me first. Then soon I heard sirens blaring, and the light above me was joined by red and blue lights flashing. The white light above me was moved to the side and replaced with a young woman's. Ma'am, ma'am, can you hear me? She repeated a few times. It took me a second to remember what the words meant, but eventually I nodded slowly and painfully. Thank God, we got her. Grab the stretcher quickly and be careful. That was six months ago. I had been luckier than Henry. The driver that ran me down had stopped and started CPR as soon as they called the paramedics. I had been dead for about two minutes. Two damn minutes. I had gone through all of that in two minutes earth time. After I left the hospital, I could barely function. I've really given up on everything. I divorced my husband with barely any explanation. Nothing seems to really matter anymore. Do I trust that I had been to heaven? Was that, was that really hell or purgatory and I've been tested? Was that a hallucination? I don't know. It seems too real to be the latter. Every time I close my eyes, it's too real to be the latter. I'm sitting here writing this in the dark alone, drinking away the memories. Because this is all I have left. Maybe there's no advice I can ask for to fix this crap. No matter what, this is a warning. We're all damned.